I will talk to you of art. Yes. For there is nothing else. Are you all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? Come along quietly or not. Well, you can have all the talent in the world and never get anywhere. Some artists bait a hook and let you bite upon it. And now, without further ado... I don't want to see him kissing goblins or if you catch him in bed with a goblin. You know, that's a problem because we're going to have a new scale here. I'm actually going to have it made digitally where it's on a scale of goblin. So you just learn about another level of the scale, not just in bed with a goblin, marry a goblin. Forever you're running around with a bunch of like retard goblins. Retard goblins. 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 Retard, retard, goblins. Goblins. Hello, folks. This is another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. I am sitting in front of you, and this is Albert Shivers, and I'm excited for this episode today. This is the last horror movie Halloween-themed episode for the month of October, and today we've got Luke and Andrew on the podcast, and those two go together like peanut butter and dog pills. We had a lot of fun talking about different kinds of horror movies. Luke and Andrew opened up the month of horror movies for October, and they're going to close out the month. So it's going to be a fun episode with those two guys. Also, see, I'm planning ahead now. Next week on the podcast, I'm going to be talking with illustrator and visual artist, I don't know why that was so hard for me to say, Heather Lee, who is fantastic. I love her work. She is going to be here. There you go. She is going to be doing a show at the Create and Be Art Studio where I recently had my Jazz Ain't Dead show. She is right now working on the first 22 cards of the Deca Tarot cards. She's going to be illustrating the first 22 cards. We talk about that. We talk about the influence of art on our generation. We cover a lot of things. It was great talking to Heather. And you're going to enjoy that episode too. That is going to drop next week, early next week, if I have it my way. Also, on my side of things, I'm working on a new logo for the podcast. I'm probably not going to do any progress shots or nothing. You're just going to see it done when it drops. So I'm excited about that, and I'm excited for you guys to see that. Also, um, by the time this comes out, my Patreon is going to be back up and running. Go on Patreon, Albert Shivers. If you want to support, awesome. Check it out. There's going to be art pictures there. There's going to be exclusive videos just on that page for you to look at. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to be putting a lot of more work into that so that there's something there for people to check out too. Just another platform. Just another platform. We got this. We got Instagram. Patreon's just going to be another level in this growth that I'm going through here and that you guys happen to be following me on. Now, before we get into the show, I got one more thing. If any of you watched episode 6 of Planet Shivers. I sat down along with Isaac. We both talked with visual artist Doug Gilbert. Um, he is an abstract artist who works with all different kinds of mediums, but his style is very catching. I am not the biggest fan of abstract art, 
But his stuff I really do enjoy, which says a lot for just how much he puts in there for abstract art. And again, I'm not the one to talk about it, but I really enjoy his work. And he recently took a fall off of a ladder, and he's right now in the hospital. So I want just good thoughts for Doug. He's a great guy. I just seen him not too long ago. And we were talking about him coming back on the show because he was showing me ink drawings that he's done in his abstract style. So now normally he worked with paints, acrylics, oil paints, but he started showing me these ink drawings and I was blown away by them. So I wanted to have him back on to talk about that. But he's had this accident. He's in the hospital now. He's doing all right but you know he's he's you know messed up in a couple of places i don't know all the details so i don't want to go spewing details that i'm not totally sure about but we're hoping that he gets better um if you're new to this podcast i would definitely recommend going and checking out doug gilbert's episode it's episode six you'll have to go way back in time to when we were first starting out with this But it's a good episode. Doug was a very interesting and inspirational guy for me. And um, it's a pleasure knowing him. And I really do hope that he's back in action very soon. So with that said, we're going to jump into my buddies Luke and Andrew, along with me, talking about some more horror films. Halloween's coming up. I hope you got your costume ready. I know I'm ready for Halloween. I am very ready for Halloween this year. It's been a hell of a year already, and they're not... I'm having Halloween. We're all going to have Halloween. It's going to be... We're going to kill it this year. All right. Luke and Andrew, here they come. I hope you enjoy the show, and thanks so much for watching and listening. So, again, we're still in October on the topic of Halloween and spooky things. I want to open this episode with stories from each of us about horror movies that messed you up. Ones that stuck with you, ones that made you want to sleep with the lights on. (laughs) Luke, you could start. Okay. Um, I know that probably the first movie that ever, you know, genuinely, you know, scared me when I saw it on, you know, at, you know, and while I was watching it was probably the first Jurassic Park movie, that darn T-Rex. <laughs> I, I, I distinctly remember because I, I, you know, I would have been like four years old at the time. I remember one time we went to uh, the, the, the drive-in theater mm-hmm. and, uh, they, you know, back we went to see the double feature of Disney's The you know, Lion King and Jurassic Park. And I remember before we went in, I asked which one are they doing first, and they said the Lion King. I was like, oh, because I was really hoping it would be that Jurassic Park would be first, just so we could get it over yeah. with. <laughs> uh, but uh, the first movie that genuinely made me afraid to sleep, uh, you know, with the lights off, and this is gonna be so weird because it's technically well, it, it's probably one of the most removed from the horror genre, so to speak, but. It, it's really definitely leans more towards sci-fi is the classic Forbidden Planet. And what's even more embarrassing is I would have been about eight when I saw it the first time. Um, and the special effects do not hold up at all today. But 
Forbidden Planet is one of the most influential sci-fi films of all time. I mean, if you watch it today, you're like, oh yeah, Star Wars, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica all clearly took inspiration from this. But uh, the premise, for those of you who don't know, it takes it's a futuristic adaptation of Shakespeare's The Tempest. It takes place a couple hundred years in the future. Uh, American space, space crew goes to uh, a... Uh, distant planet called uh, Altair uh, 6 or something like that I, f I forget the, the name of the planet but uh, there is a lone uh, earth scientist there and his daughter and uh, they keep trying to warn the, the explorers to leave because there is a apparently a monster on the planet that supposedly can't be controlled but while they're on the planet while the explorers are on the planet led by a very young Leslie Nielsen you know before he hit his stride in comedy mm -hmm. um, the scientist uh, Mor uh, Morbius I believe gives them a tour of the ancient civil the ruins of the ancient civilization that used to live on the planet called the Krell and they had a they were their civilization was unceremoniously wiped out overnight by a uh, and they don't know why but they were working on a machine that could break the laws of physics and reality and create matter from mere thought and what they don't realize is that Morbius even he doesn't realize he hooked himself into the machine and it it worked but it manif but there was no safeguard preventing it from manifesting monsters from the subconscious mind and that is some and it's completely invincible like it's it would put Godzilla to shame so when I saw it when I was eight years old and I saw that movie on TV and I saw the id monster you know in all its horrible you know 2d animated glory i was scared to death of it the concept more than anything i think scared me more than the special effects so i was genuinely afraid you know to sleep with the lights off for uh uh you know for several several days at least maybe even a couple of weeks and uh, I my bedroom was in the attic. Like I needed to know somebody was on the second floor <laughs> protecting me. <laughs> Nowadays I watch the movie. It's ironically it's become one of my favorite movies. But back then it scared the heck out of me. Oh, yeah. Andrew, what do you got? Uh, well, I just want to uh, touch on the uh, uh, Jurassic Park uh, real quick. For me, it wasn't the T Rex. Uh, even watching it as young as I was. You know, I, I got through the, uh, I was watching it with my uh, sisters at the, and they said, uh, you know, and I was young enough that they said, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, go outside in the hall if you get scared. And I said, okay, okay, uh, I can make it. You know, T-Rex, no issues. You know, raptors, no issues. But the, the dinosaur with the umbrella. That's oh, been, that's, oh, oh, the Dilophosaurus. I was out in the hallway like it was no nobody's business. <laughs> you know, when, you know the, the one that killed Newman there? Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I ran out to the hallway. I covered my head. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, that was yeah, definitely the experience for me. Uh, but, you know, the, the See, one... Just to jump in on Jurassic Park... Mm. I seen the first, the second one first. Mm -hmm. I seen Lost World before I seen the original. Because oh. I was young when the original when came, came out. Yeah. And I was such such a dinosaur kid mm -hmm. that weren't we all? Hell yeah. All, all right. those dinosaurs excited the hell out of me. Yeah. And 
when we're done with this, because this this will careen the podcast <laughs> in the other direction. I want to talk to you guys about the toys. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do some toy talk, but yeah. not not now. Um, but I I never like I always I was too excited by the dinosaurs uh-huh. to get scared. Yeah. But the Dilophosaurus scene with Wayne Knight is uh-huh. probably one of the scarier ones in the first movie. Uh-huh. And if you ever read the book, uh-huh. like. The movie is the movie is Barney, dude, compared oh, to the yeah. book. Yeah. The book is rough. Like Michael Crichton, like even that scene, like it's way more graphic in the book. Oh, Most yeah. things are way more graphic in the book. Oh, yeah. And it's it's interesting. Like I would definitely if you ever are in the mood to read, check out the two Jurassic Park because Jurassic Park and Lost World were both books. Oh yeah. And like it, you know, it's it's probably the biggest gap I've ever experienced between a book and a movie. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh yeah. Not that yeah. I've read all these books. But yeah. I'm just saying, yeah. of the handful yeah. of the three, <laughs> it was the biggest one. Oh yeah. But go on. Yeah. But go. Uh, but the the movie that probably. Uh, uh, well, you know, as uh, a five-year-old, uh, that uh, freaked me out was, and it's a show that's very near and dear to Luke's heart is uh, uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, my uh, my sisters are big musical fans; they still are big musical fans. Yeah, uh, but and you know, even at a young age, I was too. But you know, that was the movie that my parents said, "Don't watch it in front right. of Andrew. Don't watch it in front of Andrew." You know, I'm you know five year old five years old. I'm just walking in and they have it on and it's the the first thing. Feed me Seymour. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I was five. I didn't know about you know voice acting or puppetry or <laughs> or, or gra- graphics. Right. I I just think that's a giant plant that could eat me, and I run into the into the room, hide under my bed, and I I cause I was scared. And my 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 sisters. You know, love telling people that I, I had uh, I had trouble being close to plants for for, <laughs> for, for, for some time after that. Uh, uh, but uh, but that was the one at a young age. The, mm-hmm. the next one is because I was uh, nineteen. I, I was I was at you know East Stroudsburg uh, University, and I don't know if well. Al, you lived off campus, and right. uh, Luke, I don't know if your dorm ever did like uh, around did like movie nights, like your your hall or your. I don't remember them doing anything like that, or if they did, I didn't partake because they may not have shown anything I was interested in. Yeah, but it, it was like my my freshman year, and uh, we uh, my RA he wanted us all to do a big, you know, movie night. You know, right. uh, you, know you know I. I like movies, you know, and I, I liked uh, my RA, and I, you know, and uh, a bunch of guys were going, so uh, I, I said, you know, what the heck, you know, and uh, they were showing the movie uh, The Last Exorcism. Okay. And uh, uh, that, you know, it, it's a, a found footage uh, movie, uh, and, uh, you know, I I sat through the whole movie, you know, didn't, you know, you know other guys, you know, jumped, and... 
you know, you know, you know, every, you know, every once in a while they're a little eek. You know, I, I, I lean back up a little bit at some points, but, uh, you know, at the, the, the final scene though, when you think that the people are going to uh, help the girl and you see her, them ripping a, a baby out of it and you know, you see him, uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the crew being hacked to pieces, uh, you know, I, I, I was, oh gosh. So, and, and that was the one that, you know, I was, I had trouble sleeping, uh, after mm-hmm. that, even at 19 years old, I actually had to get on my uh, computer because they did the smart thing that found footage movies did. They didn't give a cast list at the end of the movie. They just, as soon as they did the, the final, uh, scene, you know, it just goes to black and right. it just ends the movie. You know, uh, which is the really smart thing to do. Like the Blair Witch Project, I think, I think they do like uh, a, a memoriam to to the three uh, right. filmmakers. You know, like you know, died at age or you know, uh, uh, and and that's uh, uh, and <laughs> I had to go on my computer, look up the movie, and then uh, you know find out. Okay, they're, they're still alive. It wasn't realized, and uh, but uh, I, I definitely had a couple nightmares uh, after that one, and uh, uh, and that uh, and and then you know that's another one. Getting back to our last podcast, that unfortunately they had to make a sequel to that one, which you know diminished the original from you know you know somebody you know just seeing it and thinking that you know you know giving you know having that gritty found footage uh thing to it to just being like a regular uh, a regular movie with, right. with cast list and all that yeah yeah you know, that that diminished that took away everything from the first one you might might as well just you know erase it i can understand that mm. yeah hmm. so on my list of the movies that i got three quick examples mm-hmm. first one You'll find amusing Luke was Godzilla 2000. I think you told me this story, but not in a podcast. So I yes, went. My mother brought me to the movies to see it, mm-hmm. and so in that movie, the 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 villain, the bad monster, is Orga. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. And when he came, that was it. I was done. <laughs> and coincidentally, this wasn't the greatest movie theater, and the film broke <laughs> about two minutes in uh, to Orga showing up. Like as if the yeah. universe was like, don't worry, I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> So we, we, they, everyone leaves and, and all it is, it's matinee, it's in the middle of the day, all it is is moms and their kids and their sons. Mm. And we're all in the lobby and the mothers are going on and on about like how their kids are disappointed that the movie ended and and it wasn't going to restart again and they're like they were going to give us free popcorn for it for the inconvenience and none of that was attractive like whatever they dangled in front of me i was like no i ain't going back in there (laughs) this so that one got me after that another weird one that got me was dusk till dawn Mm, because yeah, I didn't know anything about that movie. 
And the other one on this list, too, is I, I liked Dusk Till Dawn, but I just walked into the room and it was on. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay, there's Clooney and there's Quentin. And, and the whole movie reads like a crime drama Yeah. until they get to that bar. Mm-hmm. And even when they get to the bar, it's like, oh, this is a very... Tarantino-y, Rodriguez-y kind of looking bar. Okay, fine. And you believe it in their universe. Yeah. So I didn't see the vampires coming. Then everything hits the fan. And that one, like, that one got to me. Then more recently, probably like 2016, 15, um, the 1981 New Zealand movie, Possession, with Sam Neill. With Sam, oh, and uh, Isabella Johnny. Yeah. I, I caught that one. Like It was on YouTube briefly, and I saw that one. That is one disturbing movie. Yeah. I, I mean, all I'll say is Isabella Johnny doing the dirty with an animatronic puppet. <laughs> Designed by Carlo Rimbaldi, by the way, the guy who did the first Alien movie and Gorgo and so on. So, yeah, a really convincing puppet. <laughs> well, there's that. But what what started me into Freakoutville was that her scene in, in the subway. Subway, yes. Freaking e- out. Even if you haven't seen the movie, that, that scene is like on YouTube, like yeah. everywhere. And, and for good reason. That's And, and remember, a, Isabella Johnny is not a method actress. And yet she still found that movie so psychologically disturbing to work on, she actually quit acting for a few years to recover. Because she she found it that hard to do. (coughs) Excuse me. Same thing to a lesser degree with um, Ernest Borgnine. After he filmed The Devil's Reign, Mm. he was like wigged out for a while. Mm. And like he took a a little break from acting. But Possession, it disturbed me so much I didn't like it. Yeah, like I was like, I don't like this movie. Ah. Like I was too, too egoy to confront how much it messed with me. Yes, I was, I was like, I just don't like it. And then I went back and watched it a second time, and I was like, this is really good though. And it, it, the fact that it got to me to that level, yes, is a testament and life to to my way of looking at it. Like dusk till dawn, the film reads as just a domestic squabble mm. for a very long time. You know, you just Sam Neill and Isabella Johnny. They, you know, they're they're this couple, and they just keep fighting and arguing more and more and more and more and more, and things start to slowly get weird, but it almost sneaks up on you. Uh-huh. And then next thing you know, she starts to disappear. Where did she go? Sam Neill starts to investigate, uh-huh. and all of a sudden, you find yourself in this horror movie, and you're and to me, it's like, how did I get here? Like this, because it reads very, very dramatic. Sort of blindsides you like *Dusk Till Dawn* if you didn't know. Like I feel like, had I known the vampires were coming, uh, it wouldn't have made a difference. Yeah. It wouldn't even phase me. Yeah. But the fact that it came out of nowhere, I thought. So yeah, those were those were mine. There were other ones. The audition of uh, the Japanese movie. The Japanese audition. audition. I, that movie definitely destroyed the. Uh, I wouldn't. I didn't lose sleep over it, but elements of that uh, torture scene at the end were stuck in my head like a bad song, like a catchy song for mm. several days. Like I couldn't stop thinking about it. Didn't lose sleep over it, but yeah, it was like, can I please think about something else? 
because yeah, it, it was pretty bad. Completely. So let's move on here to our next topic for this show, which is something that Luke, you and I talked a little bit about and we thought to bring it to this episode, which is horror movies of the 70s and with specific concentration on the black exploitation horror movies. And my little platform that they are um, mis- misregarded, misunderstood in a way because, so I brought a couple of them in here. Mm-hmm. So we can have some looks because I know you guys probably haven't seen these. Yeah. I figured give yourself something to look at. Mm-hmm. So the what the movies I'm going to concentrate on that we will talk about are Abby, which was otherwise known by its original name, which was The Black Exorcist. Mm-hmm. They just they didn't mince any words with that one. Yeah. <laughs> you got both of the Blackula movies, mm-hmm. um, Blackula and Scream, Blackula Scream. This is another yearly. The second one specifically, which I can get into, we have Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde, which is just Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and Night of the Cobra Woman. So, the titles of these are silly. Yes. And specifically, and there are other ones, there are other black exploitation horror movies, but they would just replace black Mm -hmm. with whatever they could. As a matter of fact, the, the lead actor in Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde, like his name isn't, his last name isn't even Black in the movie. His last name is just his last name. Like it's Doctor, it might even be the same last name. I don't think it's Jekyll, but somehow like there is some history to it. So his name isn't even Dr. Black. Okay. They just called it that because they were just trying to do their thing. And at that point they thought that would be tangy. Is to just shove black into the titles of the movies, and they changed Abby from literally the Black Exorcist to Abby, which is the title, uh, the name of the lead girl, played by Carol Speed. So, to my way of thinking, so these were movies that were put out. All it all started with Shaft, and it found an audience because hey, who would have thunk? Black folks like to see themselves in movies too. <laughs> so that was kind of the beginning of it. And like anything else, action turned into let's in- infiltrate some horror here. And Blackula was one of the first ones. So you hear the name and it sounds silly. Yeah. Right? But when you watch the movie and you just put this, the name aside, the character of Blackula was an African king and through he he was you know his his kingdom in Africa was being colonized and these colonists were into some hoodoo too and they put the whammy on this African king and these colonists named him Blackula he had an African king name and he said nope now you're you're forever cursed you're black now. And now here's this African king who is now cursed to live forever and interact with the modern world, this being in the 70s. So there's this very interesting backstory and the character of Blackula is very noble. Like, 
although he is a vampire, he still carries himself as a king. And the character has so much depth in it with his nobility and that royalty behind him mixed with being a vampire now. William Marshall, who played Blackula, was a Shakespearean actor. Completely. And he is both in Blackula and he's in Abbey there as a priest who does the exorcism. Mm -hmm. He's the priest in Abbey. And he was a phenomenal actor and he actually brought a lot to Blackula too. And these movies to me are so good and so grabby that when anything happens to Blackula, you're like, hey, quit picking on him. You know, like <laughs> you, you're feeling for the villain. And I just think they're phenomenal. They're, they have spooky moments, moments that will like kind of sit you up straight. They have great writing, like the stories are feasible, they're connected. It's they're fun. Like it hits all the points for me, and I would go say the same about Abby and Night of the Crow One. And I forgot um, Ganja and Hess, which stars Dwayne Jones, who is the lead actor in Night of the Living Dead, the original one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is the deal with those. Um, and with Ganja and Hess. Um, a theater and film writer and director, Bill Gunn, was approached by Warner Brothers, I believe, and they said, okay, Bill, we're going to give you a shot. We're going to let you make a movie, but we want you to make something. Blackula was MGM. They said, we want a movie to compete with Blackula. Make us a black vampire movie. So Bill Gunn, this is his shot to get his foot in the door making movies. So... He decides, okay, I'm going to do this movie, but I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> and he made me very artsy. He included a ton of ancient African beliefs and ritual in there. And rather than it being like, Bleh, Dracula, he turned the, the vampiric need for blood into a mental addiction like heroin or coke or something else would be. He turned it into a drug addiction. Mm. The people, Dwayne Jones, Marlena Clark, who plays um, Dwayne Jones' girlfriend, and even Bill Gunn, who's in the movie, whoever this this spell affects, it isn't just like, I'm going to bite you in the neck. You know, it's ritualistic, and it's, it is treated like this weird drug mm-hmm. that they just need. It's, you know, it's just that craving. Mm-hmm. And... That, it's a hard movie to make it through. It's real artsy. Uh-huh. And it's one of my favorites. And it's still tough for me sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's like, geez. Because they really take their time with it. Mm-hmm. And it, like, it's just very, like, you got to lock into it and just go for the ride. Mm-hmm. But I think it's fantastic. The soundtrack is weird as hell. The soundtrack to Ganja and Hess was done by Nina Simone's brother. Not a lot of people realize right. that connection because Simone wasn't her real last name. Mm. She changed her name, so her his, her brother is using the real name. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, but he was a composer. He worked, he composed a lot of music with her. So my little drum that I'm beating here is that these movies are worth looking into, mm. and 
if we can get past the name and the stigma, you are looking at not only good films that are being looked over, but also great performances by black actors that people don't even know about because they don't they can't get past the stereotype yeah. of the 70s black exploitation or the titles of these movies because William Marshall is black yeah, unbelievable like it's great Carol Speed who plays Abby like she completely like throws herself into this role and what I like now I've seen the original actresses I like this one better because she's up she's more physical She's not just laying in the bed cursing everybody and throwing up, you know. She's moving around like they they have to find her. There's all this um, African mythology worked into it, you know. How she got how she became possessed isn't just like ooga booga devil. Yeah. You know, it gets real deep, and I don't know. They're they're good. They have legitimately creepy moments, storylines that you could grab a hold of, and. That's my case. It's my my spiel. Well, we'll definitely have to look into them, especially especially in today's political climate. In fact, it, it coincidentally, I don't know if you heard on the news, but uh, the Oscars, <laughs> the Oscars just added a new uh, quota that in order to be in order to qualify for uh, best picture, now you have to have a a, you know, a minimal number of minorities in front of and behind the camera. Now, I'm probably, I don't think anybody at this table is really in the best position to judge because we're white people and we haven't been discriminated against by the movie industry or anybody for that matter. Mm. But, you know, on paper that sounds like a great idea because I really do think that they are, that non-white people are underrepresented, you know, in front of and behind the camera and they deserve more. But... Knowing how the industry works, how manipulative they are, and how they are always about the bottom line, the money, I'm genuinely afraid that what's going to happen is we're going to get this onslaught of hack of second-rate white savior movies like Green Book and uh, The Help, and you know just all these. Whether or not you like the movies at all, they're going to be painting. They're all going to be these period pieces that focus on the white people and how much they helped to end racism. And that's not what we need. We need, we just need good movies with black people being allowed to do whatever they want. They shouldn't be playing second fiddle to the white person. They shouldn't be there to make the white person look good. And and there are black there are movies out there. That just aren't getting recognition. Like you're you're mentioning these mm-hmm. black exploitation films. In 2018, my favorite movie of that year was The Hate You Give. If I had if I had it my way, that movie would have swept the Oscars. I think that movie should be required viewing alongside Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. But you know, it didn't come out during the Oscar season. And uh, apart from Anthony Mackie, I don't think there were any really big names involved in in the movie. So that movie was completely overlooked and Green Book, you know, walked away with everything, which drives me nuts. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think the quota is a great idea, but I don't, I, you know, and I understand, and I hope that, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that we get more movies where, I hope black filmmakers are allowed to do their own thing as opposed to just being there to fill a quota and make and help the white guy qualify for the Oscar. 
mm-hmm. but I'm I'm worried. Well, here's the thing. Like, this is how I've always looked at it. Beyond the Oscars, because that just gets more and more ridiculous it's every a, year. Yeah, more. that's a whole other topic. Oh yeah. What the the big thing for, and again, who are we to say? Uh, yes. But I think the big thing is that we have to get over everybody. We all have to get over the fact that if a movie has a predominantly black cast, that it is for black people. Yes. yes. That's the big hump. Just because there's more brown skin in the movie than any other color doesn't mean it's a black movie. Yes. And there are people who feel that way per, like with malice and innocently. <clears throat> and the movie that always comes to mind for me are the two Best Man movies. Best Man and Best Man Holiday. These are great movies about friends, family, doing their thing. You know, and the Best Man Holiday one, you think, oh, Christmassy. But no, it was great too. And these are actors who are just as good. And you could watch a movie. Like it doesn't even, like there are so many movies where the race doesn't even matter. Yes. So oh, yeah. why not, like, why always be, go to the knee-jerk white family yeah you know and the reason why i think it's the knee jerk is because of this mindset where if there's more black people in a movie it, oh that's a black movie or even and it's not just black yeah latin, latin you know how many like latin Asian, movies yeah. and you know that's the thing you know we got to get over that stigma and just be able to just watch a movie and enjoy it. Who cares? Uh, and that you know? goes, yes, exactly. and, and it applies to both sides. Yes, it applies to the studio executives when they're producing a movie, when they're deciding who should be in a movie. Because everything, everything is a decision in a movie. Yes. Even the extras, and that's what people need to realize. Yes. Go so when they're, when they're casting a movie, they shouldn't assume, oh, if we have more black people in the movie, we're going to make less money because only the minorities are going to come to see it. They have to be open, be willing to take the risk. We can have more non-white people in this movie, be they black, Latin, Asian, Native American, whatever, Middle Eastern. And you can have you know whatever skin color you want, and it, sh- and it can appeal to everybody. You don't have to make the movie a, you know, about... Racism. It could just tell yes. an ordinary story. Right. It, it doesn't oh, have yeah. to be a movie about racism, which it, it, no, in like, itself isn't a bad stop thing. With, yeah, but I know. But, 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 but you stop should, with the slave movies. Yes, yeah, exactly. Stop with the slave. Oh, yes, yes, exactly. Stop. You know, uh, just because yeah. you have a black person in a movie doesn't mean it has to be it has about to be slavery. Oppressed. Yeah, it yeah. Has, yeah, it doesn't have to be God. about slavery. Yeah, it doesn't have to be about racism. You don't have to... Yeah. Or better yet, if you're going to have white people in the movie, don't make them the hero. Don't make them the person who's going to save the black person, mm-hmm. even if it's not about slavery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so the studio executives, they, you know, on their side, they have to be willing to take more risks and be willing to use people of any color. And we as audiences also have to be willing to pay more money. It, you know, we are just as guilty. This is one of the reasons why Hollywood is out of ideas. They don't listen to what we say in our critiques and what we write on Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb and, and comment sections on YouTube. They only listen to the money. If you're paying money to see the movie, that's all that matters to them. If you don't pay to see it, they assume that's not what people want to see. So the next time, Hollywood, you see advertisement for a movie with that doesn't have a bunch of white leads or isn't made by a white director, 
don't assume, oh, it's not worth my time. Go ahead, check it out. I just saw a movie last night, uh, The Broken Hearts Gallery. The lead actress, uh, there's not a lot of information about her on IMDb, but she looks like she, she's not a white person. That's all I can tell you. And it was fine. And, the, and race was not, an issue, was not a topic in the movie at all. It was just a simple romantic comedy with a non-white leading actress. Right. I loved it. Yeah. So, yeah. If, if you see a movie and don't assume, oh, it has to have an actor I'm familiar with it or it has to tell a story that I've heard a million times. Be willing, be willing to take risks yourself. If you take risks and pay money to see a movie that you don't know if you're going to like it or not, movie executives in turn might be more willing to risk investing in the in movies that tell something different and original right exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it yeah. Is, it's an yeah. intellectual wall that really sitting here like it's so simple yeah like just mm. can we just take movies for this like does it always have to because really what I think it's having an uh, opposite effect yeah because if you just keep beating people over the head yeah. with race situation, race situation, race situation, they are going to look at another race and think about the other race. Yes. Mm-hmm. You present a Mexican family or a black family or Asian family just in a way you would present a family. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. People will look at it that way because you're not shoving the fact that they're different. They're different. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is not to say that you know we have to ignore cultural differences or or that we don't see color. We're colorblind. No, because that's but, just as stupid. Yes, yeah, that is. But, but but at the same right. time, if you're going to depict the family, you can acknowledge the cultural differences. But at the same time, don't paint it as a problem. Right. Yes. Or like the main issue. Yes. Of the movie, like here's a black family. Like yeah. no, here's a family and they're black. Yes. You know, like you know, like it's yeah. So, to wheel us back around to the Oscars, we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And, the, and, and you know what else needs to change about the Oscars? They have to acknowledge horror movies. Oh. I mean, come on. How, the, again, going back to that stigma about you know, horror versus psychological thriller, they usually only give it to horror movies if they can lie and say it's not a horror movie, it's a psychological thriller. Like... Like let's talk. I mean, let's address the few movies that act, the few horror movies that got them. Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Silence of the Lambs. You could say, well, it's not horror; it's psychological thriller. Yeah. Um, Misery. Uh, I think uh, there was a brief time period, oddly enough, in the late '60s and '70s, where they were finally more open-minded. Like you know, Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, mm-hmm. and The Omen all have supernatural elements to them. Right. Clearly horror movies, but they all got some Oscars and, and nominations. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, but ever since then, you know, th- there's just this stigma that if it's a horror movie, if it has supernatural elements to it, it's automatically a B movie. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. so it it doesn't qualify, and I. I hate that mindset. I mean, how many great horror actors, Vincent Price, Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi, Peter Laurie, Christopher Lee, Mm. these people never came within a mile of an Oscar, and they had more charisma in their eyebrows than some actual Oscar-winning actors. Oh, yeah. Completely. So this is the perfect transition as we go into the next topic, which is unsung horror movies. Horror movies that we feel aren't getting the press they deserve. 
I sort of spouted off a whole bunch with my um, the black exploitation horror movies that I just mentioned. So, what are some movies that you guys feel might be unsung horror movies, horror movies that deserve more attention than they than they're getting from any time period? Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, well, since since we mentioned Silence of the Lambs, I know for a lot of people, you know. Anthony Hopkins as Havel is the definitive portrayal of Hannibal Lecter, and he is genuinely creepy in that movie, but very few people talk about or even realize that that's not the first Havel Lecter movie ever made. The first mm-hmm. was actually in the 1986 film Manhunter, where Lecter was played by uh, Scottish actor uh, Brian Cox. Um, now, overall, I think Silence of the Lambs is a better made film in regard to you know, cinematography, production value, and, and writing. But I think Manhunter is still a brilliant film. And I, I distinctly remember, you know, in terms of films that affect me, the first time I saw it, I wasn't impressed with Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter uh, because he, you know, he you know, just didn't scare me that much, especially after watching Hopkins. And, and I was disappointed because I really like Brian Cox. And after I watched the movie, I remember thinking, well, that was a really good movie, but he didn't strike, he didn't seem like a psychopath to me. He just seemed like a normal person. Oh my God, that's terrifying. <laughs> and ever since then, you know, I actually think that Brian Cox is actually the superior performance because he like any real, like most psychopaths, he can actually fool you into thinking he's a normal person. Greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing you he didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So I think if he had reprised the role in Silence of the Lambs, I think he would have actually been scarier because of how much more subtle he was. And again, I don't think Hopkins was bad, but you know he was definitely the more over the top of the two. And yeah, and, and in other aspects uh, Manhunter is one of the few movies maybe the only movie I can think of that focuses on a, a protagonist who is every bit as psychotic as the killers that he's hunting down but he's actually trying to control his urge to kill and it's his ability to, to empathize with psychopaths and sociopaths that makes him so good at hunting them down you know, the underlying theme of that movie is empathy and how, how you use that, how you can use that to relate to people, to, to keep yourself from killing them, and also to understand what they're going through. So, yeah, I think uh, William Peterson as Will Graham is one of my favorite protagonists of any movie I've ever seen. Brian Cox is terrifying. Tom Noonan is terrifying as uh, Francis Dollarhide, the main killer of the movie that uh, Peterson's hunting down. Uh, it has a great soundtrack, uh, great dialogue and character relationships. So, yeah, that's very unsung. It flopped when it came out. Uh, it's based on the Thomas Harris novel Red Dragon, and it was actually going to have that title. But because it came out in the 80s, they said, well, if we have the word dragon in the title, everybody's going to think it's a Jackie Chan movie. Oh. So, they, so they changed the title to Manhunter, and it still flopped. It's developed a cult following, but I, I think it deserves more mainstream attention. Ever since then, there's actually been a remake, uh, actually called Red Dragon, directed by uh, uh, Brett Ratner with Hopkins playing the part. And I, I think the remake is good, but I, I think I prefer the original just a little bit more. So gotcha. that that's one that's one overlooked classic that I think deserves more attention. Uh, if you 
thought of another one? Uh, uh, one that I think of, and it's, uh, um, uh, it's uh, based on Stephen King uh, novel, uh, Secret Window, okay. with uh, Johnny Depp. And uh, you know, everybody who knows me knows I'm not the biggest supporter of Johnny Depp. Uh, me neither. <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, Secret Window is... Uh, one of the few Johnny Depp movies that I like, and uh, it, uh, and it, it's probably one of the movies that most of his fans hate the hate the most, and maybe that's why I like it. Uh, uh, but it's uh, like I said, it's based on the Stephen King uh, novel *Secret Window* and *The Secret Garden*. Uh, John Turturro is uh, amazing. Mm. Uh, he is this uh, incredible. Uh, well, Johnny Depp plays a writer, a uh, story writer, uh, who's uh, uh, wrote a story and uh, called Secret Window. And John Turturro uh, shows up as a writer that wrote a similar story and claims that Johnny Depp's character. Uh, stole the story and he's just uh, you know he goes you stole my story and mm -hmm. uh, he, he gives this uh, and uh, yeah, you have this you know uh, amazing you know mind twist and um, you know uh, Johnny Depp is you know uh, this you know going through a divorce he's you know uh, uh, you know all, you know, he just sleeps all day, and uh, and, uh, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, he uh, this guy, you know, kind of sends a jolt through his system. He begins preying upon him. Uh, you know, he he does things like he kills his dog, he burns down his uh, the house that he shared with his wife, and. Uh, then uh, uh, he uh, murders two of his friends, and it just becomes, you know, so intertwined. You know, once you get to the ending, mm -hmm. you know, and you uh, see the the final, uh, you know, the the final act, you know, what what it was all building up to. That uh, I don't, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it's it's one of those great. You know, uh, you know, twist endings that you know you. you mm -hmm. But um, let's get to our recommendations. So we'll do just like we did in our first Halloween episode, two horror movies. But this time, let's open it up any two. Okay. It doesn't have to be a certain time period. Okay. Um, Luke, we'll start with you. Okay. Uh, the first one I can I can think of. Uh, there's this 1995 uh, psychological. If you're into you know the serial killer subgenre of psychological thrillers, then you'll love this one. It's called Copycat. It's from 1995. It has Sigourney Weaver and Holly Hunter. It's um, uh, Sigourney Weaver plays a you know a psychologist who suffers from uh, agoraphobia and she's like been confined to her apartment ever since she was attacked by an actual serial killer um, and then a new serial killer who is cop who is literally copying the tactics of famous serial killers like Ed Gein, Ted Bundy and so on and replicating their worst crimes um, 
is uh, striking in the town close to her. So Weaver teams up with a detective played by Holly Hunter uh, to try to find him and anticipate his crimes and see if they can capture him before he kills again. Uh, great music and atmosphere and uh, great acting by Weaver and Hunter. I think Weaver actually went on to say that she thought it was one of her best performances. And, uh, and uh, the, the two killers in the movie, the imprisoned one who attacked Weaver in the past and the new guy are both really creepy. I forget the names of the actors, the, uh, but, uh, but they're, they're both utterly despicable scumbuckets. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the other one, another serial killer movie, uh, is uh, Mr. Brooks with Kevin Costner. Uh, he played probably the best... Uh, Kevin Costner movie I've ever seen actually like it's he, he even regarded the script as the one of the few that he can that he's ever read in his career that he considered perfect he plays a serial killer who's trying to quit has a happy marriage and a teenage daughter is off in college but he has a split personality that manifests as a you know whole other person played by William Hurt so whenever he hears the voice in his head it's always William Hurt so the back and forth banter between the two of them is great and delightfully morbid and uh, to complicate matters in addition to the fact that he's trying to quit his latest kill was caught by a, on camera by a voyeur played by stand up comedian Dane Cook <laughs> who now who uh, was uh, let's just say a little tur more turned on by the event than he should have been so he links up with Costner and wants to watch him do it again. <laughs> so yeah, it is a wonderfully messed up dark comedy and uh, yeah, one of Costner's best performances and uh, Dane Cook, who I'm not a big fan of at all, is also unusually good in the movie. Um, mm. whole cast is great. So yeah, check it out if you haven't seen it. Nice. Two, two more I've not seen. <laughs> yeah. Andrew, what do you got? Oh, uh, I'm gonna start off with uh, uh, an another uh, with a classic uh, uh, Young Frankenstein with um, by Mel Brooks. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, one of my favorite just all around movies. You know, horror comedy. Uh, I think it's uh, just a genius piece of work. Uh, I, I honestly think it holds up with any other Frankenstein movie, to be mm -hmm. perfectly honest. Yes. Uh, wonderful cast. Uh, Gene Wilder as young young Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, Terry Garr, Madeline Kahn, uh, Marty Short. Or, uh, Marty, Marty Feldman. Feldman. Marty, Marty Feldman. Feldman. Excuse me. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you, you had me yeah. talking about Marty Short. Marty Feldman. Pierre Boyle, uh, Cloris Leachman, uh, uh, and Kath Mars. Oh, Kath Mars, yes. Uh, 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 just a uh, great, you know. I maybe maybe family friendly, maybe, uh, but <laughs> but uh, it's just uh, one of my uh, all time favorites. Uh, uh, my other film will be. Uh, uh, 1996 film, uh, also based on uh, a Stephen King novel, uh, the movie Thinner, okay. uh, with uh, Robert John Burke, 
Michael Constantine and Joe Mantegna. Mantegna. Uh, it's uh, about a uh, overweight, uh, arrogant attorney uh, who's cursed by a gypsy. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, the makeup and all the effects are very good as well. Nice. My two movies are going to be from vastly different time periods. My first horror movie is 13 Women, 1932. Stars Nora Charles and Myrna Loy. All you got to know is Myrna Loy. (laughs) That's all you got to know. And the other one is 1989 and um, Alejandro Jodorowsky's Santa Sangre, which is a very creepy spooky movie that pretty much there's a lot going on but it pretty much follows the weird dealings of a circus and also explores a little bit of an Oedipus thing between mother and son what do you know and on that note we're going to wrap it up but thanks you guys so much for doing this episode and the previous episode I'm glad I got you guys on for the Halloween month because to talk horror movies, because who else is there to talk movies with? <laughs> That's know, what we're here for. I'm Absolutely. saying, you guys are like the modern day Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> we appreciate Two thumbs, way up. And happy Halloween, and be safe and enjoy it. Happy yes. Halloween, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, folks. Hope you enjoyed that episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. We all got into the deep murky waters on that one. If you want to listen to more of these, you can go on uh, Google Play, Spotify, um, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube with video. My new video intros, if, you have, if you're listening on an audio that's cool, but check out the YouTube version there. It's getting, we're getting there. We're getting bigger. We're getting there. Thank Andrew and Luke for being on this episode and being on the first Halloween episode for horror films. Next week, illustrator Heather Lee. It was so much fun to sit down and chat with her. I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing it. Check out Instagram at Albert Shivers. Check out the Albert Shivers YouTube channel and also, now, Albert Shivers on Patreon. Check it all out if you'd like. If not, I'm not going to hold it against you. We're still friends. See you guys, hear from you, however, next week. Enjoy yourself, take care of yourself, and take care of somebody else. <laughs>